0: All right, how, how's everyone doing? Yesterday I took the day off uh, in order to uh, play some football with some of the uh, gentlemen in this church. And uh, it rained early in the morning, and so uh, it was time to separate the men from the boys. <laughs> and I'm proud to say over 20 men showed up to play, even though it was uh, rainy and wet. Uh, over 20 guys showed up. Uh, we had a, I got to meet some of the Emmaus uh, students. Um, found out that uh, even... We had a couple of students, even from like Germany and Canada. Um, Michael and Christian, they played with us, but they played really well, despite not growing up with football, which tells you anybody can learn how to play football. And then we had a, a bunch of... Uh, these young men—they were—they were really fast. <laughs> I met a guy named Paul Sa yesterday, and he was just all over the field. Paul Sung yesterday was all over the field, just uh, just uh, catching every pass. Uh, we also played with Paul Moon from New Philly Itaewon, and that boy was just like all over the field. We're playing flag football, and every time the we hiked the ball, like the flag was already in his hand. <laughs> he had already tackled somebody. But anyway, it was a lot of fun, and uh, yeah, it just made me uh, feel alive like i preached last week you know i really felt the spirit of god was with me yesterday because i made a lot of plays you know what i mean you know, you know sometimes i could have an off day but yesterday was, i was feeling good because i was doing it with holy spirit <clears throat> but it was a lot of fun i uh, really enjoyed it and uh hope to do it again with the uh, with the men i felt like uh, there's uh no bonding quite like uh, bonding over some sports, all right, uh women of God, you guys can play football too, um, you know you just play on your own, all right, just play separately you form your own teams. <laughs> you know there's something special when you just play with just the men. I mean, I would have welcomed if if some women showed up, we would would have had some of the girls play with us, but you know something special about just playing with just the men, right, Joe Payne, yeah. yeah, all right. <laughs> You can take the heat along with me later. Okay. (laughs) We're a lot of fun. Uh, Today, uh, I'm going to start a new sermon series, the final sermon series on wisdom this year. It's going to be wisdom with work. Wisdom with work. Today's sermon is called A Biblical Theology of Work. And we will be um, teaching about work. 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 How many of you guys right now, you have a full-time paying job? You have a full-time paying job. I'm getting paid. I'm paying the bills. All right, good. I got my automobile. All right. Um, how many of you guys, you are students, you're in college, full-time students? All right, very good, very good. The rest of y'all, go, go hurry up, get a job. <laughs> go back to school, do what you need to do. Uh, you know, there's a famous quote. Uh, it was actually by a Jewish rabbi that's become a clash, cliche in our society. And it goes like this No one has ever said on their deathbed, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. This is a good quote. It's filled with wisdom. You know, Jesus said, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Some people invest all their time and energy into their career and they gain money, success, fame, power. But what good is it if you lose your soul in the process? What good is it if it came at the cost of your family, your marriage? What good is it if you didn't contribute any value to society? If the only person who benefited from your success was you? What good is it if you abuse your health in the pursuit of furthering your career? And what good is it if you gain the whole world, yet you do not have right standing, a right relationship with God, your maker, your father? As the book of Proverbs 11.14 says, Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. A lot of people that are giving up, giving up their health, their families, their soul in order to build their career. But having a successful career and money is not going to profit on the day of judgment. Only righteousness delivers from death. You know, I can understand uh, as I was kind of, you know, unpacking what this quote could mean. I could understand uh, why people like this cliche. You know, no one has ever said on their deathbed, I wish I spent more time at the office. You know, at the end of your life, most people look back and go, you know, man, I just wish I spent more time with my kids. I wish I spent more time um, at my church. Uh, I wish I, I spent more time taking care of my health. I don't know, different regrets that people have at the end of their life. But if we do not keep, these types of cliches in tension with the whole counsel of God, we can land at a warped theology of work. You see, in the Bible, everyone works. The Bible is a book about work. Work has inherent value according to God. So today I want to just kind of challenge your perspective on work, you see, in the New Testament book Hebrews, uh, most of the heroes of in, uh, heroes in the Hall of Faith is all these people commended for faith in the book of Hebrews. Uh, many of them had jobs that we as Christians today would call secular jobs. For example, Abel, he was just a shepherd. Noah. He's like an architect and a craftsman. He had to create this huge ark. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all nomadic shepherds. Uh, A modern-day equivalent will be they're they're like ranchers, like cowboys, listening to country music and spending all day just watching their their sheep and, and cattle. Sarah was a housewife. Joseph was a government official overseeing agriculture and the economy for a nation, a foreign land, for a boss, a pharaoh, who did not honor the true God of Yahweh. Joseph did not decide because he was in the secular profession, he did not decide one day to quit his job, his high-paying job, in order to go He didn't feel like it would serve God's purposes best for him to leave that job and go start a faith based nonprofit. He stayed and he did his work and he did his work well. Moses was an adoptee who went to a prestigious private school, got the best education in the whole land, and then he ran away after he committed a crime. He got deported. Well, he was self-deported. <laughs> Pastor Caleb, Moses feels your pain. Uh, he self-deported himself. He ran away out into the desert to work as a shepherd for many, many years before finally God called him to lead his people out of Egypt. Joshua, Zephthah, Gideon, Samson, and David, they were all military officers. Yes, sir. Sergeants and lieutenants you know in fact david who later on became the king of israel had many many odd jobs before he eventually became the king he was hired out as a serenader serenader is that a word a person who serenades a musician for the king because king saul was tormented by demons and he, would, uh, he had David have the odd job of playing the harp for him every time he had these demonic attacks. Anyway, David had a lot of odd jobs before he eventually became the political king for all of Israel. Uh, we should also not fail to mention Esther. She was a beauty pageant queen. Very secular, right? Whoa, whoa. Can Christians even do beauty pageants and be, stay Christian? Right? Well, she was a beauty pageant winner. Daniel was an orphan immigrant who prospered in Babylon's version of Oxford, and he went on to serve as the prime minister for an idolatrous king. In the New Testament, many of the disciples had secular professions for most of their lives before Jesus called them. Many of them were fishermen, tax collectors. You know Think about that. Jesus didn't go to a seminary and be like, hey, you, you almost done with MDiv? Follow me. Like, he did not go. He went to the marketplaces. Onto the, Jesus recruited from the streets. It looked more like a gang uh, recruitment rather than a ministry recruitment. Think about that. He recruited from people who had secular professions. Lydia is described in the New Testament as a successful female entrepreneur. In fashion and textiles, anyone into fashion, you have a New Testament protégé to look up to. Barnabas, we think of him as the son of encouragement, lowly kind of guy. No, Barnabas was rich. He was in real estate. He had land. He was a landlord. And the Bible says he sold his land and gave a portion of those proceeds to the apostles. Uh, In order to do church planning, even though the Apostle Paul was in full-time ministry, in order to not become a financial burden, Paul took on a lot of seasons where he just did tent-making. What we would probably consider a secular profession once again. If you are still tempted to look down on secular professions, perhaps you should consider that when God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, down to the earth... He had his son spend the majority of his adult life working as a carpenter, making furniture, fixing cabinets, doing roofing, hammer and little carpenter belt and rulers and other things that carpenters carry. He was a carpenter. Jesus was a blue-collared, what we call a secular worker. Think about that. You know, I read a book one time called The Call by Os Guinness. I think he's a British, British Christian author. And in the book, he talked about, one of the first things he talks about is the myth of the sacred and secular call of God. The myth of the sacred and secular call of God. See, many Christians, especially in the Catholic environment of the Reformation, but even still today, after post Reformation, many Christian traditions tend to think of the call of God and the professions that people take on as either sacred, missionary, pastor, priest, evangelist, sacred, or secular, um, teacher. Artist, janitor, entrepreneur, politician. Oh, dirty job. Oh, dirty job. <laughs> Entertainer. Oh, how dare you move to Hollywood? Are you even a Christian? You know, go to Tennessee and do Christian music. <laughs> Why would you go to Hollywood to, you know, to sign with Bad Boy Records? or You can't go work with Jay-Z. You're going to lo- lose your Christianity. You're going to lose your salvation. Secular, secular, right? And uh, athletes, athletes. What a secular thing! Unless you're in the Olympics. If you're in the Olympics, that's that's a little holier. <laughs> but what you play for the the what the NFL, the NBA? Oh, the NBA. Oh, we know what goes on in the NBA. And and we and we separate the call the call of God between sacred and secular. And what Os Guinness points out is the reformers began to confront this mindset. Martin Luther, John Calvin, they began to confront this mindset and begin to teach that there is no such thing as a sacred and secular call because every call of God is sacred. So whether you are the stay-at-home mom, what you do to take care of your children, Martin Luther used to argue, Is considered sacred and holy. If you are an entertainer, a musician, maybe you don't want to do Christian genre music. You just want to do secular music. Mainstream. You want to go out there and compete with the Justin Bieber's and the Katy Perry's. And you feel like you got enough gifting to be able to hit those billboard charts. Well, that ambition is not unholy or secular. According to the reformers, they would have told you, if that's from God and that's clearly from God, you pursue it with all your heart because every call of God is sacred. And, you know, in all my seminary studies and reading of different textbooks and reading about economics and development of the economy after the Reformation, you know, the Protestant work ethic really came about as a result of the reformers teaching like this. Because people before that, you know, were more about the Catholic tradition and mindset, which saw the priests as the holy ones doing the the sacred work of God. And they were just, you know, blacksmiths, you know, uh, and butchers and just doing lowly things to just keep the society going. So that the priests can do the holy work of God. And so the Jesuit missionaries can go out to Japan and do missionary work. You know, that's kind of the very... It was very, very one-sided in the Catholic tradition. And so the reformers start to confront that. And say, no, every call of God is sacred. And so what it did was it restored value to the majority of Christians. Because guess what? 95%, 99% of Christians are not in the full-time ministry. And so it restored this inherent value that had been taken away for so long. And people began to do their work with greater creativity, a greater sense of anointing and gifting, and it brought about this greater work ethic that drove the economy, and brought about the Industrial Revolution and all the great benefits that came thereafter. Uh, uh, That's not my uh, thesis or anything, that's just a general observation of other authors and writers, okay? So don't, don't quote me, okay? Well, that's what I've studied, and that's what I've generally known. And maybe your history classes don't like to include Christian contributions. But as a Christian, you should be a little more discerning about what you hear from your history professors. Because, by the way, they have an agenda, and it's an anti-Christian agenda. So when we learn in our secular universities, right, we should be more discerning about the things that we process, Anyway, that's not what my message is about. Anyway, every call of God is sacred. Amen? Amen. Most jobs, there I say, every job God has ever granted you, I believe, is personally assigned by God. He wants to shape you, challenge you, and bless you. He wants you to learn to be punctual. He wants you to learn to be responsible. He wants you to learn how to work in a team. He wants you to meet certain key people and develop relationships with them. You know, many times, Christians only see their secular jobs as a means to a paycheck. And that's the only thing they end up getting out of it. Because that's the only mindset they have. But God's purposes for your jobs are much more rich. They're much more expansive than that. You know, in my own personal life, I've had many, many different jobs. I'll try to remember all of them. I don't know if this is a comprehensive list. I've had many different odd jobs throughout the years. But I'll start with eighth grade. Eighth grade, I worked during the summer full time as a secretary for a temp agency. If you guys don't know what temp agency is, it is a company that puts temporary employees into vacancies in different professional companies. Anyway, the company was called Charlie's Temporary Agency. Uh, It was uh, located on City Line Avenue uh, in Philadelphia. And uh, my bosses were two African-American entrepreneurs, women, female entrepreneurs. And let me tell you, they taught me what it means to be professional. And when I would come into work all like down and depressed, they would be like, you pick your head up, Christian. (laughs) A young man, no, you don't come into work like that. You don't be spreading that dark cloud. Everybody know. I mean, they really took me aside and they taught me, like, how to be professional in the workplace. And I was only in eighth grade. I mean, they took a risk by hiring me. It was part of a, a minority job placement program uh, for low-income families in the city of Philadelphia. And so, you know, they took a risk by bringing me on. And they me. They trained me to call. You know, to answer the phone. You know, you know, good afternoon, Charlie, temporary agency. How can I help you? You know, and I, when I hang up, they'd be like, "Young man, come come over here. Let me teach you something. All right? All right you got to say it brighter. I want you to say it with a, a brighter tone. You know?" And they really took care of me. I learned a lot from my first job. Second job that I can think of is uh, during high school. I worked as a sneaker salesman down in South Philadelphia. Uh, I used to sell Jordans, hundred dollar, hundred twenty dollar Jordans uh, to very clear. They were drug dealers. You can tell they were drug dealers. <laughs> Because every time it came out, the first day it came out, they would, they would call in, reserve it, and they'd pick it up, you know. Um, that was fun. <laughs> <clears throat> and I, I, had a, I had a Korean boss. And I remember uh, – I'll, I'll tell you a funny story. One time, I didn't know Korean um, adult uh, – I didn't know that honorific uh, culture very well. Because, you know, I grew up, grew, up, grew up in Philadelphia by that time. And one time, I went to my uh, boss – He's like probably like 50 years old. And he was like a little scatterbrained that day, you know, because there was a lot going on. Things were very busy. And I told him straight up. I said, (laughs) Which in translation means, you know, you know, come on, think straight, get your act together you know, something like that. But I remember when I said that, like his jaws just dropped and he got so angry, like something just flipped inside of him. And I thought I was like I, th- I was afraid for my safety, you know. Um, but after seeing his reaction, I realized never to say that to a Korean adult. Uh, anyway, th- I learned that at least during my <laughs> years as a sneaker salesman. Uh, <clears throat> junior year in high school, I used to uh, I worked as a lifeguard. I got my certification. Man, it was really tough to get my certification because I didn't know how to swim. So once again, it was the city of Philadelphia offering free lifeguard lessons, because all the public uh, Philadelphia pools didn't have lifeguards. So you had all these like, hundreds of kids, like you know most of these like African American kids just like jumping off the fence into the pool, running around the pool, like pushing, scratching, like chaos, right? So like most lifeguards, they just quit. They're like, you're not paying me enough. And so the city of Philadelphia was like, all right, well, we'll recruit new lifeguards by offering free certification classes. And so I applied, and I went to the tryouts. And there were like 200 people that came out to tryouts. And by the end of the night, they narrowed it down to 30 people. A lot of people just could not finish the uh, laps in the pool. I also could not really finish the laps in the pool. You were required to do four different strokes, Uh, the breaststroke, the side stroke, the freestyle And the backstroke, right? I didn't know any of the four strokes. (laughs) So I was trying to imitate people. (laughs) I'm doing this, but my legs are doing something else. (laughs) And so I think the managers, they knew like from the first lap, like this kid's not gonna make it. But I I had taken I was on on the wrestling team the year before. So my stamina was like incredible. So really, I should be drowning by this time. But because I have such long endurance, like I, I, I outlasted 170 feet. Most people didn't make the cut because they couldn't finish the, the laps. So I'm the last person in the pool, and one of the teachers comes up to me, and she, and she goes, Young man, um, it's over. Please go home. And I was like, No, no, no. I just have three laps left. <laughs> this is a side stroke, right? this side stroke and she's like young man young man no it's over please leave and she's you know she's a philly girl and you know, she's like get out you know leave and i was like please please if you just give me a chance if you just teach me these strokes I- i'm pretty sure i'll be a great lifeguard i can do this i can do this just teach me these strokes you know and she's like no i'm not gonna do that i need to go home look everyone's done everyone's gone home you you're gonna keep me here no no i'm gonna leave you, you need to get out and i was like please just, just just give me a chance. And God just opened her heart somehow. <laughs> I kid you not. She said, I'll give you 30 minutes. 30 minutes, you learn these strokes. I'll give you a chance. If you don't, you're out. And so I said, yeah, 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 I can do this. I can do this. And she taught me the side stroke. She taught me freestyle. She taught me the backstroke. Backstroke was fairly easy. The side stroke is the real hard one because you have to learn how to uh, scissor your kicks. It's, your, it's not a natural motion. Um, (Laughter) And then the, uh, the breaststroke, I never really fully picked up, but I, I kind of tricked her. I, I, she didn't really look at my legs. I was doing this very well. And the breathing part. You know, Anyway, I, and she was so impressed by what I learned in 30 minutes. that she's like, you know what? I really like you. I'm going to include you in the class. And so I made it into class of 30. And I would like to humbly say... That at, at the end of like I think it was like three weeks of training and uh, very intensive training physically and on paper. Uh, at the end of three weeks of training, only two people passed the first round of all the tests. Is this white dude? And me. <laughs> so 28 people had to go through second and third round. I got through in the first round. I remember I remember that woman who taught me. She was so proud of me. She's like, you know what? I never would have saw this coming, but you're you're something else, you know. Um, anyway, so I got my certification and became a lifeguard, and so I got a pretty decent paying job during my high school days. Um, doing the actual work of lifeguarding was not as glamorous as the lifeguarding class, because in lifeguarding class it's like you know you're gonna have somebody drowning, you're gonna have someone paralyzed, you know, you can have someone on the bottom of the pool and you have to go and retrieve them, you know, it's so exciting, like yeah. And then when I got the job, I was just sitting there watching um, beautiful women go in and out of the pool and sunbathing all day. Most of them didn't drown. Most of them did not trip. And so, yeah, it was a little, it was a little boring. It was not a glamorous job. It wasn't like, you know, I will watch um, Baywatch on Saturdays. And I'll be like, yeah, that's the lifeguard I want to become. But in order to be a beach guard, it's like far far more uh, intensive. The training is much, much harder. Um, anyway, I, was, I used to be a lifeguard. Uh, I used to be a webmaster when I was at NYU. Um, I became a software tester when I graduated from New York University. I worked as a uh, free st- uh, freelance web developer and got paid like $2,000 a gig for a couple of websites I did. Um, I was a legal assistant at a very intense law firm that did mostly real estate and divorce cases. Uh, and, man, I learned a lot about work ethic in that place because um, I had learned so many bad habits when I was working at NYU because I was such a technically experienced pers- like employee that the rest of the department, it was a speech pathology department. So it was mostly women in their 50s and 60s who did not know how to operate a computer that I was kind of accountable to. And so they didn't really know what I was doing. And so I'll confess, many of the hours I spent at work when I was working at NYU, I squandered on doing ministry work for my college ministry. And I thought I was doing God a favor, you know? I was like, yeah, I'm doing the kingdom work. Um, But later I found out that that created a lot of bad habits in the workplace, that it took years for me to unlearn. And, and by the way, that's just lacking integrity. It's theft. If you're getting compensated to do one thing, but you're doing something completely another, that's called theft. Uh, and so it really, uh, I learned about integrity much later. But, you know, um, I worked at the Apple store when the New York Soho uh, store f- uh, finally opened up. And I had a wonderful experience with Apple. Learned about work culture. Uh, Actually, a lot of things I learned at Apple is the reason uh, how I knew how to shape a church culture. Uh, Because Apple, when they opened up the retail stores, they took a lot of Hilton Hotels um, uh, retail training and customer service training and just pretty much put Apple over it. And we took a lot of the Hilton Hotel values. So if I I got hired at Hilton Hotel, I'll do a great job today. I know most of the Hilton Hotel values, you know. And Apple taught me a lot about work culture, how important that is. That culture uh, can outlast uh, funding any day uh, or the next trend like, any day. Like, Apple really, I think, has a great culture, work culture for them to be sustained into the future. Um, I, and, and then finally, I worked in the full-time ministry. So after my job at Apple, I finally went into ministry. I did college ministry at Columbia University. And then I came to Korea. And then after a few years here, I, I became a full-time pastor with New Philly. Okay, So 10 jobs, before, 9 jobs before I landed on this one as a full-time pastor. Uh, but you know, as I honestly reflect on my job experience, I feel that I've missed out on a lot of God's purposes and lessons for me because of my small theology toward work. I had a very low value of work throughout all of these different jobs. Although I was thankful for them, I just didn't see how it connected with my spirituality. I only saw it as a means to get that paycheck so that I can do evangelism, so that I can do missions, so that I can give offerings at church. It was just a means to that paycheck. And I want to stop and address the students in here. If you're a student in your high school or college student, I want to tell you that right now your studies is your work. That is your full-time profession. That is why your parents pay your tuition. That is why the government gives you a loan to go to school. Because your full-time work is for you to study your butt off and learn what you need to learn while you're in school. God's purpose for you in high school or college is much bigger than you just getting that diploma or degree. Mm-hmm. Amen, students? Amen. Oh, half of them. Uh, <laughs> you, know, you, know, you know, there's a famous quote that says It is a wise man who can learn from his own mistakes, but it is a far wiser man who can learn from the mistakes of others. Uh, you should learn from my mistakes. <laughs> okay? Be wiser, okay? Uh, When I was in school, once again, I had a very low, like, theology toward education, and I only saw it as a means to get my credentials so that I can get a job, which would be a means to a paycheck, so that I can worship God on Sundays and fund missionaries or go on missions myself. Students, I want to warn you, do not get stuck into that mindset. It is a trap. Do not put all of your energy and time toward even Emmaus ministry. You know, oh, you know, uh, I'm getting a a, a D and a C- minus in my school classes, but look, I'm getting an A at Emmaus. (laughs) Look at all that I'm doing for Emmaus and my college ministry, Campus Crusade, CCC. Well, yeah, let me tell you, my grades were CCC when I was at NYU. (laughs) Okay? Uh, I'm not proud of my GPA that I graduated with. It wasn't that low, but it was pretty low. It wasn't like that low, but it, I'm not, ass- not going to tell you what it is. Uh, I had a very, very small view uh, toward my education. And what I want to tell you is don't make, my, don't, don't make the same mistakes I made. Learn to be an excellent student while you're there. Learn... Simple things like writing at a graduate level. If you're writing at a fourth grade level, you're not going to get very far in life. Or if you have brilliant ideas, you're not going to be able to communicate them. Yeah. You know, you have these, brilliant, have these brilliant ideas and then you talk and write like a fourth grader. People are not going to even take time to, th- to listen to what you have to say. Learn to write at a graduate level. Learn to write like a New York Times reporter. And that's what college will teach you. Things like that. You know, here at New Philly, I want all the sons and daughters, I want all our church members to write at a world-class level. Amen? You know why? Because I believe that what God has put in you is worthy of being communicated clearly. Either simply to those who are uh, on a a lower social class or, or at or very at an articulate level, at a higher social class, we should be able to communicate at all social classes. The gospel of Christ, the good news, brilliant ideas, creative ideas God gives you, entrepreneurial ideas, business plans God gives you. We should be able to clearly communicate those things. So what have I said so far? What I've said so far is that every call of God is sacred. There is no sacred and secular Everything that comes from God is a sacred call. Uh, You see, the Bible is a book all about work, written by workers, about workers, for workers. And the Bible tells us in Genesis 2, I want you to turn to Genesis 2, verses 1 and 2. We look at Genesis 2 and then Genesis 1. Look at verses 1 and 2 of Genesis 2. It says, thus the heavens, I'm going to read in the ESV. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Our God himself is a God who does work. And who values work. You know, heaven is not a long vacation. You know, and you think God is up there just, you know, in a long holiday. Yeah, I'm God. I just chill all day. And I just think and, you know, the world is in order and I'm sovereign. No, God does work. God had to do work to create the world. And God is doing work today in order to manage the world and keep it under his sovereign control. And after God created mankind in Genesis 128, read that with me, God blessed man and he said to man, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So in other words, God did not create man and then say, I bless you. To just chill. Just relax. Eat, drink, and be merry. No! God said, I bless you. Now fill the earth. Subdue it. Take dominion over the earth. Rule over the fish. And do some work and make some good sushi. (laughs) Rule over the birds of the air. Or the birds of the ground. And make some good fried chicken. Rule over. Take dominion. Build cities, civilizations, buildings, power lines, bridges. Fill the earth and subdue it. And you cannot fill the earth and subdue it without doing work. God worked. He values it. And then he put a mandate on man to value work and to do it all the days of his life. You know, a lot of times when you see some people retire from doing work, usually they they pass away shortly thereafter. It's a really really common story. Even um, there was a scandal at Penn State University uh, a couple years ago with a sexual scandal. Uh, The coach of the football team at Penn State was an incredible man, incredible genius of a football strategist. Uh, incredible uh, mentor to many of these college students and created this wonderful football program at Penn State. And he was like 125. All right, that's, I'm exaggerating, okay? But when I uh, actually heard his age, I think it was like 80-something. It was like 84 or 82 or something like that. I was like, man, how is he still turning out championship seasons and doing it full of vigor and life? And he's like 80-something years old. Well, the sad part of this story is that right after the sexual scandal broke out, the coach, he retired from college football coaching. And then just like, I think it was like a couple of weeks or a month later, he died. He just, he just, he just died. Nobody didn't foul play. He just died. And what you will see a lot of times is when old people, they, they retire, and they're, they're, they can't find any significant, valuable work to do a lot of times they lose this drive and meaning for life. Have you ever wondered why people, like, they miss that when they retire? That's because God built it into us. It was never meant to depart. You know, what I really admire are retirees, old people who are retired, but they still do work. They do volunteer work. They contribute to society. They mentor young people. You know, they keep up, like, you know, Lauren Cunningham, he keeps up a pretty, like, vigorous uh the president of YWAM, he keeps up a pretty vigorous uh, work schedule. Even despite his aging health, you know, he'll, he keeps doing that because he understands that God has put him on the earth to do work. And if you thought that God stopped working after Genesis, look at what Jesus says in John 5, 17. I'll read it in NIV. Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day. And I, too, am working. Okay? So it gives you a glimpse of heaven. God is always at work to this very day. Amen? Go turn to your neighbor and tell him God is a... He's a worker. He works hard. <laughs> you know, in any given week, if you take out the hours you spend in sleep, about half of the remaining hours where you are awake... You spend it at work. That is a large portion of your life. Do you not think that God cares about that large portion of your life? And he just, hey, go, I don't know what you do over there during all those waking moments, but you can bring back that paycheck, all right, and give an offering and tithes. I mean, is that what we think God is thinking? But a lot of, of a lot of Christians, we fall into that mindset. Your work is a huge part of God's plan for your life. And God wants to fill you with his spirit at your workplace, as you do your work. He doesn't want you to look at your work as just as a means of obtaining a paycheck. He doesn't want you to think of it as dirty or secular. He doesn't want you to think of yourself as a slave to some system. Oh, oh, I got to go to work and, you know, I can't do anything about it. I got to pay the bills. I'm just a slave to the system. No, he wants you to see work as having inherent value. Because it does. Work is not the devil's idea. Uh, Let me torture all the humans on the earth by creating this thing called work. We'll make them do it half the time they're awake. (laughs) No, the devil is not smart enough to come up with something like that. That That's not what he... It is God's idea. Now, the things that we do at work, our labor, our, our teaching, our coaching, counseling, building up people, working in teams, leading teams, managing company resources. You know, if you want to do these things well and in a sustained fashion, we all need the leading and power of the Spirit. There are so many people that have short-lived careers and jobs. Because they do everything in the flesh, and you know, you can tell when people are working in the flesh at a job. You know why? Because when they end their job, they take like a seven or eight month vacation. Now that's not. That's, I'm not saying You should feel guilty about taking that long of a, you know, a break. But personally, I feel a little uncomfortable when you take such a long break when God clearly said work. Well, you can tell when a person has been working only in their flesh, because when they quit that job, they are so exhausted and spent. They need like seven, eight months to recover. Let me tell you something out of the 10 jobs I held. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. <laughs> the longest period I went without working was like was like, well, when high school doesn't count, right? But in college, I worked all four years, all year long, right? 20 hours a week during the, uh, during the school break, and then a little bit full-time during the summer breaks and winter breaks. But in high school, you know, obviously, it was just summer job. Uh, actually, no, it wasn't summer job. I, I worked 20 hours a week at the sneaker store, all right? All them drug dealers, they saw me every single day. The uh, longest period I went unemployed is like a month. I'm not saying like, oh, y'all should just, you know, your breaks should be short. I'm just saying that you ought to value work as much as God values it. It should not be seen as something evil to tolerate. But it is a calling God assigns. And there's so many valuable things he wants you to take away from every single job you've ever held. Whether you're working at Charlie's temporary agency or a sneaker store. God wants you to know, you know, at the sneaker store. I got tested in my faith, by the way. All my Filipino co-workers. I'm not saying Filipinos are bad. But in Philly, man, they real bad. Okay. in Philly, I'm Filipinos, man. Anyway, As a Filipino and, and a Vietnamese guy, right? Uh, not the same Vietnamese guys are bad, but in Philly, man, they real bad. Um, <laughs> my coworkers, you know what they were doing? You go in the back in the stock room, they were working at a sneaker shop, right? You know, you go back there to check the stock, you know, you tell, you know, you know people say, I need a size eight and a half. You sure you're eight and a half? All right, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm going to go get it. All right, you go back to the stock room and you check the stock room and what the, my coworkers would do is they will take the sneakers that they want to sell to their friends or they want it for themselves. They will put it in the trash bag. And at the end of the day, they will be like, Oh, Hey boss, I'll take out the trash today. I'll take out the trash today. Because nobody wants to take out the trash, right? And they will go and put it in the dumpster and they will lock up. And then when the boss left, they will go into the dumpster and take out these $120, $200 Air Jordans, uh, Air Force ones, you know, and then they would sell it to their friends. And so the way I discovered it was they were bragging about it to me. You know, and so they, they were like, they were like, man, let me tell you, man. I was like, how do how, how you get all that gear? Like, how do you, you man, you always dress so fresh. Like, how, you, how do you have so much money? You know, and, and, he's, and he's like, no, nah, I ain't doing no drugs. I'm up in the black market. And you want in on this? Let me tell you how we do it. And they, they told me the whole technique. And when I heard that, I was, I was like, what do I do as a Christian? And they threatened me. They said, if you tell anybody, we're going to hurt you. And so I remember one time I went up to my boss and I was trembling. I was like, this could be my life on the line. And I went up to the boss and I said, hey, boss, I think you should check the trash cans because there's something funny going on. And then he knew exactly what I was talking about. Because he had already suspicions. So he fires them right away the next day. And when I went to work, when, after they got fired, man, I was just checking my bag. I was like, you know, I was making sure, like, you know, every dumpster I was, I was, I was like. <laughs> no dumpster. Oh, there's so many dumpsters in Philly. Uh, I, I was so scared. I was so scared. But I believe by the grace of God, by the grace of God, they left me alone. They knew it was me, but they left me alone. But for my own sake and safety, I I made sure I went to that lifeguard certification class. (laughs) So I got a new job, you know, I don't don't want to continue there. I just didn't feel safe. But, you know, that was like a test of faith, you know, but I felt like God used that to build up my integrity. like, what are you going to do, Christian, when you are entrusted with even bigger resources? Are you, are you going to be, you know, are you going to be a little snitch? You know, you, nobody wants to be a snitch. But there are times where ethics, you need to do the right thing and blow the whistle. Even if it's at the risk of your own safety. Now, you want to do all, all you can to protect your safety, and, especially you your family and stuff. But sometimes you got to blow that whistle. There's a movie called The Insider. Talks about the uh, tobacco industry. Uh, Russell Crowe is in it. I don't think anyone's ever seen that movie. It's a great movie. Uh, uh, and it's about whistleblowing It's about uh, exposing the lies That the tobacco industry was perpetu- perpetuating They eventually got into a Supreme Court case And, you know, they lost And they had to pay off billions of dollars up. But the guy, he got His whole safety, his whole life Was completely, like, threatened And constantly monitored Because he blew the whistle And you know, we as Christians, you know We have a responsibility Not to the tobacco industry Not to my sneaker boss But to God because he's watching. That's why Joseph, when he was tempted for adultery, he chose to ran away, run away when the, uh, Potiphar's wife tried to come on to him. Why? Because his loyalty wasn't to Potiphar. His loyalty was to the Lord. He said, how can I do this evil thing and sin against God? You know, when we think of the fourth commandment, we think uh, of just one day of the week. You shall keep the Sabbath. And we just think of one day of the week. But if you read it carefully, I'll read it here for you. Exodus 20, verses 8 and 10. It says, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You know, there have been numerous sermons given in churches to bring conviction on Christians for violating the Sabbath. For not honoring the Sabbath. But rarely do you hear a sermon trying to bring conviction on Christians for not honoring the six-day work week. But it says clearly right here, God presumes that if you're going to take the Sabbath, that you're working the rest of the week. If, you, know, you, know, you know what the, um, this fourth commandment sounds like if you don't have a job? Or if you're just being lazy, you're not even searching. You're not. You don't have a job. You're unemployed. You've been unemployed for many, 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 many months, and you're not doing nothing about it. You know what the fourth commandment sounds like? It doesn't sound like you know, keep the Sabbath. No, it says get a job. That's the fourth commandment. If you've been unemployed for a very, very long time, I like that one. I thought that was real good. Anyway, five-day work week, six-day work week. You know, the five-day work week was uh, something created by economists to uh, bring further, better productivity. And for some companies and industries, it works. For some industries, it doesn't. Anyway, it doesn't matter whether it's five days, six days. It's not about how much you work. The bottom line is that as much as God created and values the Sabbath, he created work and he values work. We as Christians need to learn how to value work. There's a quote made popular by a guy named Marcus Buckingham where he says, Discover your strengths. He is the father of uh, the Strengths Movement, as it is known today. The Strengths Movement uh, is uh, it's pretty much like, like this. Uh, many leadership uh, books and management books oftentimes cause people to focus on their weaknesses, to strengthen their weaknesses in order to bring forth greater, greater productivity and effectiveness. But in the strength Movement, what they say is, all right, yeah, it's important to strengthen your weaknesses, of course, you know. If you if you're not very technically proficient, go go take a class and learn about computers. It's important to do that. But in order to have great effectiveness and productivity in your life, what you want to do is you want to strengthen your strengths. The road to success is not by strengthening and spending all your time and energy on strengthening your weaknesses. The most successful people in the world are those who discovered their strengths and they improved upon those strengths. You know, it's like uh, Michael Jordan, you know, Michael Jordan, greatest basketball player of all time, in my my humble opinion. Michael Jordan, at one point, he had an ambition to play baseball. And he was decent at it, but he wasn't no major league player level. And he tried to work at it, he tried to work at it, and it, it didn't work out for him. So he retired from basketball after, like, breaking every record there is. Michael Jordan retires from basketball and tries to join the baseball league, major baseball league. And then he works at it. He he finds out he can't really quite get it. So he just comes out of retirement and plays again for basketball. And then, like, comes back and wins, like, two more championships and breaks, like, more records, which were all his records. (laughs) What am I trying to say? Michael Jordan realized that God had not created and designed him to be a great baseball player. But God did create him to be a great basketball player. And the way that Michael Jordan got success is not by just spending all his time. Imagine if Michael Jordan spent all his time and energy trying to develop his baseball skills throughout college, throughout his youth. If that's all the time and energy he spent, that would be be so sad. We would have missed out on Michael Jordan. Uh, same with uh, Russell Wilson from Seattle Seahawks. He had, like, a baseball career going for him. I'm so glad that Russell Wilson, you know, he let that go in order to do football. He's turning out to be a decent football player. <laughs> at, at least he was last year. I don't know about this year. All the Seattle fans. You might want to jump off the bandwagon because uh, Seahawks season's going down. <laughs> anyway, all right. <laughs> uh, the, If you spend all your time trying to improve just your weaknesses, it's like trying to teach a rabbit to swim or a penguin to fly. It's a very frustrating experience. Uh, The Bible talks about the people of God. We're supposed to go from strength to strength. You know, God never told Moses, hey, your artistic skills are horrible. Why don't you stop leading these people for a season and you focus on developing your artistic eye? You know, God never did that. God knew what well, he had put into Moses. And the New Testament reveals that God's people, they grow together when they discover what they're gifted at, and each part does its part. That's how a community, a church, grows together, is when each person is doing their part. Amen? Amen? Yeah. Uh, according to Marcus Buckingham, the simplest definition of a strength is an activity that makes you feel strong. So there's activities in your life that thrill you, that even if it's challenging, it just makes you feel alive. And then there are other activities that bore you and make you feel drained. Scripture says you are God's workmanship, right? When you discover your strengths, you are getting a revelation of God's workmanship in you. Remember, it says you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. The workmanship is connected to the good works you're supposed to do. So you've got to discover the strengths that God's put in you. Dorothy, Dorothy Sayers, she said, Work is not primarily a thing one does to live, but the thing one lives to do. It is, or it should be, the full expression of the worker's faculties, the thing in which he finds spiritual, mental, and bodily satisfaction, and the medium in which he offers himself to God. You know, after the fall in the Garden of Eden, Christians read about the curse that God put on um, Adam's work. And they conclude that this curse is meant to be perpetual. That this is the status quo that we have to deal with as a result of Adam's mistake. But you see, that is a picture of the curse on the work, curse on Adam, without the cross. See, but with the gospel, when we experience redemption from sin by the blood of Christ... Not only does God redeem us from sin, but he also redeems us from the effects of the curse of sin. Amen? Amen. And when we work with joy and strength by the Holy Spirit in our workplaces, we are setting free work from the curse of sin. We are restoring work to God's original design. When he told man that mandate to go and fill the earth and subdue it, in Christ... We are redeeming work from the effects of that curse. And when we do our work, no matter what it is, with joy and with the power of the Holy Spirit, we also reflect the image of God, the great worker himself. I mean, think about how God does work. He does it with strength and joy. God never does work and thinks, man, I'm so bored. God's not going, man, this challenge is going to give me so much stress and anxiety today. Now everything God does when he works, he does it from a place of joy and pleasure. He does all that he pleases. And we as workers, we want to try to reflect that image, don't we? We don't want to be all slaving away. We want to reflect the glory of God when we do work. No matter what assignment is it. Uh, in my next sermon, I'm going to talk about the different assignments we get in our lives. Uh, and so I'll try not to touch upon that here today. I just want to end with uh, one very um, important concept that I thought was very helpful to me. And it is a concept uh, that I'm just going to read John Orberg's quote here because I think he really articulates it really well. So just listen here. All right. I'm going to land the plane, but just listen with me. All right. Here we go. Put on your seatbelts. All right. right, uh, Please turn off all your smartphones and uh, iPads. Okay. Listen to this very important announcement. We landed the plane here. John Orberg writes, Amazingly enough, research shows that the best moments of our lives don't come from leisure or pleasure. They don't involve sex or chocolate. They come when we are totally immersed in a significant task that is challenging, yet matches up well to our highest abilities. In these moments, a person is so caught up in an activity That time somehow seems to be altered. Their attention is fully focused, but without having to really work at it. They are deeply aware without being self-conscious. They are being stretched and challenged, but without a sense of stress or worry. They have a sense of engagement or oneness with what they are doing. This condition is called flow. Because people experiencing it often use the metaphor of being swept up by something outside themselves. People experience flow mostly at work. Not on vacation. When you are doing what God created you to do on this earth. And you're doing it from a place of joy or you're doing it from a place where you're aware of your gifts you're going to experience that flow when Michael Jordan is on a championship game and he's just putting up threes and he's just, it just looks like he's just going like that <laughs> and all you know like on that it's just you know he's experiencing flow Now Jeremy Lin experienced it for a few months when he was with the New York Knicks couldn't keep it going, but you know, Michael Jordan, you know, he did it the whole his whole career. That flow. You see, Michael Jordan, I don't even really think he's a Christian, but man, he he's more in tune than a Christian with what God created him to do. We Christians, well, a lot of times we just tolerate our work as just a means to give offerings toward missions work, toward evangelism work, to building up the church. But no, that is just so, it's just so Just such a small theology of work. Do you really think that the God who created you would have you spend most of your week out doing something that he wants you to just look down upon and to say, oh, this is just a means to a paycheck. And then show up to Sunday and be like, oh, this is where it's at. And that the only thing you're looking forward to is the weekend or some church ministry or some church mission trip. Now, I know this really is challenging for a lot of people in the here because you work at hagwon jobs. That you really, like half of you at the hagwon jobs, uh, teaching jobs. You guys really despise your your jobs. I know that. You really dislike it. You're like, I'm not. A, I I don't like children. I don't want to keep doing this, Pastor Christian. But I'm doing it because I love coming to New Philly. <laughs> I love giving to our missions. <laughs> I love you, Pastor Christian. I got. I, I just love coming. You know, and you. you you're like, yeah, that's the, I'm living the Christian life. But no, you're not. If you're at their job and you're not experiencing flow, you don't find meaning in it. You're not learning the lessons God wants you to learn. He, you think it's not shaping you in any way. So you just, you know, any free time you get, you know, you just use, use it for build, doing church work and working on your CG. Oh, y'all better not be doing that. That's, that's, you're missing a huge portion of God's purposes for your life. Don't make the same mistake I did. When I was at NYU as a webmaster, man, I was so much squandered lessons that I had to relearn later. And I'm going to talk about this theme next week, but every job and assignment God gives you, once again, there is no secular and sacred, right? Every call of God, every job assignment you're given is sacred. Meaning if it's filled with God's sacred Touch, it's overflowing with God's sacred, divine purposes and meaning. Students. Oh, you understand, University Exchange. Oh, it's so easy, you know. All oh, these professors, they don't even speak English very well. Man, I spend, I spend my time better. I, I, I'd rather not go to the lecture. I'd rather just go to a cafe and read the textbook because that's a lot more helpful. Hey, I feel your pain, all right? Because I went to a, a seminary here that's very similar. Half the professors, they're forced to teach in English. And I'm like, please, I'd rather listen to them in Korean and try to translate it myself. (laughs) No one understands what they're saying. I feel your pain and you might get into fall into futility. Like, man, what's the point of all this? But you be an excellent student. Not because your professor is watching. Because you are doing it for the glory of God. Because you believe if you learn these lessons well now you will be better prepared for your next assignment. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I wish I was a better pr- pastor to you guys. Really. I know you guys think I'm a great pastor. All right, that's great. <laughs> but I wish I was a better pastor to you guys. I'm you know, much... I was just... Man, I just wish... I was just so much of a better pastor. You know, just more kind, more social, more friendly. Pastor who can land a plane at... 45 minutes, but already we're an hour and three, you know. <laughs> I always just wish I was a better pastor to y'all. But you know you know why it's so hard for me right now to to improve? Because, because I'm 35 years old now. I was malleable, shapeable when I was younger. But now that I'm older and set in my ways, it takes that much longer for me to unlearn things and learn new things. But you young people, you in college, you know, you guys who are just out of college, man, you guys are right there. Don't make the same mistakes I made. Be faithful where you are. Be excellent where you are. Be creative. Be fully there. Look for that experience of flow. Discover your strengths and work from that place of strength. You know, I experience flow when I'm preaching. That's why it's so hard for me to just just like close it up, you know? It's, it's really hard for me to close it up. God experienced flow. So I really genuinely... I just feel like there's something outside myself that I'm just like riding and I'm like, I want to land it now. We got to land it. now. It's getting too long, but I just feel like, no, the wave is still going strong. (laughs) Yeah, that's partly an excuse. I'm still going to try to land the plane. You know, today I really thought I was going to hit 45 minutes. No, really? Today I thought really I was going to hit 45 minutes. I still appreciate your prayers in that regard. Um, The bottom line of my message is I wanted to challenge your theology of work because if you can embrace your work, your education as being inherently from God and having it's full of riches and value and you do it for the glory of God, you will be equipped and prepared for every good work God gives you in the future. Amen. Amen. And let's pray. Work is not something you tolerate to live and pay the bills. Work is what God created you for. You know, a lot of people, they tolerate work in order to come to the house of God to worship. And so, you know, they have a bad boss. They tolerate that bad boss so that I can get my paycheck and go and worship God with my offering and go and worship God with my songs. They have such a low view about work. And they, and they have this hopeless view, like, man, sin has completely ravaged my workplace. My managers, even my Christian bosses and managers are just so tainted and corrupt by sin. And you just have this hopeless, dark mentality. And that is not the glory of God manifesting through the sons and daughters of God the sons and daughters of God can go into any work environment and have hope and go in there and be like, I got something to contribute. I'm going to bring value here. Even if no one else is bringing value, I'm not going to let their baggage hold me down. I'm going to do my thing to the glory of God. The Apostle Paul, when he wrote to slaves in the Roman Empire, he told the slaves, Slaves, do your work and do it well. Not because your master's watching. Not because you're doing work onto men, but because you're doing work, do it onto God. Even to people who are in the slave system. Now the slave system back in the Roman Empire was a little different than the slave system of the colonial American period. But still, the this, this slavery was there and the Apostle Paul Even slaves, hey, there's a value in even your work, so do it on to the glory of God. Now, a lot of people, yeah, they, they tolerate work to come and worship, but today, what I'm trying to tell you is your work is worship, that is how God created you to worship Him not only in songs, not only in showing up to a Sunday service, not only in giving your time to go on a mission trip. Your work is your worship. And he wants you to do it with hope and joy and strength. Father, I prophesy over all your sons and daughters today. And I just prophesy Ephesians 2.10 over them. You are God's workmanship. You are his masterpiece. He has carefully and elaborately designed you to be just the way you are. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. You are redeemed by Christ Jesus. You are restored by Christ Jesus. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. From this day forth, God wants you to begin to take back the dominion you gave away in your classroom, the dominion you gave away in your dance studio, the dominion you gave away in your in your workplaces, your financial workplaces. God wants you to redeem it in worship to him. Father, just bless each and every person. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't we all stand to our feet?